Section 42 of The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 36 the honest heart that's free frae intend fraud or ga however fortune kick the ba has a some cause to smile burns we now return to the fair maid of perth who had been sent from the horrible scene at falkland by order of the douglas to be placed under the protection of his daughter the now widowed duchess of rothsay that lady's temporary residence was a religious house called Campside, the ruins of which still occupy a striking situation on the Tay. It arose on the summit of a precipitous rock, which descends on the princely river, there rendered peculiarly remarkable by the cataract called Campside Lynn, where its waters rush tumultuously over a range of basaltic rock which intercepts the current like a dyke erected by human hands delighted with a sight so romantic the monks of the abbey of cupar reared a structure there dedicated to an obscure saint named saint hunand and hither they were wont themselves to retire for pleasure or devotion it had readily opened its gates to admit the noble lady who was its present inmate as the country was under the influence of the powerful lord drummond the alley of the douglas there the earl's letters were presented to the duchess by the leader of the escort which conducted catherine and the glee maiden to campsey whatever reason she might have to complain of rothsay his horrible and unexpected and greatly shocked the noble lady and she spent the greater part of the night in indulging her grief and in devotional exercises on the next morning which was that of the memorable palm sunday she ordered catherine glover and the minstrel into her presence the spirits of both the young women had been much sunk and shaken by the dreadful scenes in which they had so lately been engaged and the outward appearance of the duchess majority was like that of her father more calculated to inspire awe than confidence she spoke with kindness however though apparently in deep affliction and learned from them all which they had to tell concerning the fate of her erring and inconsiderable husband she appeared grateful for the efforts which catherine and the glee maiden had made at their own extreme peril to save rothsay from his horrible fate she invited them to join her devotions, and at the hour of dinner gave them her hand to kiss, and dismissed them to their own refection, assuring both, and Catherine in particular, of her efficient protection, which should include, she said, her father's, and to be a wall around them both, so long as she herself lived. They retired from the presence of the widowed princess, and partook of a repast with her dunas and ladies all of whom 
amid their profound sorrow, showed a character of stateliness which chilled the light heart of the Frenchwoman, and imposed restraint even on the more serious character of Catherine Glover. The friends, for so we may now term them, were fain, therefore, to escape from the society of these persons, all of them born gentlewomen, who thought themselves but ill-assorted with the burgher's daughter and a strolling glee maiden, and saw them with pleasure go out to walk in the neighbourhood of the convent. A little garden, with its bushes and fruit-trees, advanced on one side of the convent, so as to skirt the precipice, from which it was only separated by a parapet build on the ledge of the rock so now that the eye might easily measure in depth of the crag and gaze on the conflicting waters which foamed struggled and chafed over the reef below the fair maiden of perth and her companion walked slowly on a path that ran within this parapet looked at the romantic prospect and judged what it must be when the advancing summer would clothe the grove and leaves they observed for some time a deep silence. At length the gay and bold spirit of the glee maiden rose above the circumstances in which she had been, and was now placed. To the horrors of Falkland, fair May, still weigh down your spirits. Strive to forget them as I do. We cannot thread life's paths lightly, if we shake not from our mantles the raindrops as they fall. These horrors are not to be forgotten, answered Catherine, yet my mind is at present anxious respecting my father's safety, but I cannot but think how many brave men may be at this instant leaving the world, even within six miles of us, or little farther. You mean combat between sixty champions, of which the Douglas's equerry told us yesterday? if were a sight for a minstrel to witness. But up, out upon these womanish eyes of mine, they could never see swords cross each other without being dazzled. But see, look yonder, May Catherine, look yonder. That flying messenger certainly brings news of the battle. Methinks I would show him who runs so wildly, said Catherine. But if it be he I think of, some wild thoughts are urging his speed. As she spoke, the runner directed his course to the garden. Louise's little dog ran to meet him, barking furiously, but came back to cower, creep, and growl behind its mistress, for even dumb animals can distinguish when men are driven on by the furious energy of irresistible passion, and dread to cross or encounter them in their career the fugitive rushed into the garden at the same reckless pace his head was bare his hair dishevelled his rich actin and all his other vestments looked as if they had been lately drenched in water his leathern buskins were cut and torn and his feet marked with sod and blood his countenance was wild haggard and lately excited or as the scottish phrase expresses it much raised conquer said catherine as she advanced 
apparently without seeing what was before him, as hares are said to do when severely pressed by the greyhounds. But he stopped short when he heard his own name. Conquer, said Catherine, or rather each and Macklin, what means all this? Have the clan Quahill sustained a defeat? I have borne such names as this maiden gives me, said the fugitive, after a moment's recollection. Yes, I was called Kanacha when I was happy, and Eachin when I was powerful. But no, I have no name, and there is no such clan as those speakest of, and thou art a foolish maid to speak of that which is not to one who has no existence. Alas, unfortunate! And why unfortunate, I pray you, exclaimed the youth, if I am coward and villain, have not villainy and cowardice command over the elements? Have I not braved the water without its choking me, and trod the firm earth without its opening to devour me? And shall a mortal oppose my purpose? He raves, alas, said Catherine, haste to call some help. He will not harm me, but I feel he would do evil to himself. See how he stares down on the roaring waterfall. The glee woman hastened to do as she was ordered, and Kanacher's half-frenzied spirit re seemed relieved by her absence. Catherine, he said, now she is gone, I will say I know thee. I know thy love of peace and hatred of war, but hearken, I have, rather than strike a blow at my enemy, given up all that a man calls dearest. I have lost honour, fame, and friends, and such friends. He placed his hands before his face. Oh, the love, surpassed the love of woman. Why should I hide my tears? All know my shame. All should know my sorrow. Yes, all might see, but who would pity it? Catherine, as I ran like a madman down the strath, man and woman called shame on me, the beggar to whom I flung an alms, that I might purchase one blessing, threw it back in disgust, with a curse upon the coward. Each bell that tolled rung out, shame on the ruined caitiff, the brute beasts in the lowing and bleating, the wild winds in the rustling and howling. The whole swatters in the dash and roar cried, Out upon the dastard! The faithful nine are still pursuing me. They in cry with feeble voice, Strike but one blow in our revenge. We all died for you. While the unhappy youth thus raved, a rustling was heard in the bushes. There is but one way, he exclaimed, springing upon the parapet. But with a terrified glance towards the thicket, through which one or two attenders were stealing, with the purpose of surprising him. But the instant he saw a human form emerge from the cover of the bushes, he waved his hands wildly over his head, and shrieking out, Bas, er, Ichen, plunged down the precipice into the raging cataract beneath. It is needless to say, they ought save thistle down must have been dashed to pieces in such a fall but the river was swelled and the remains of the unhappy youth were never seen 
a varying tradition has assigned more than one supplement to the history it is said by one account that the young captain of clanquahill swam safe to shore far below the lens of campsie and that wandering disconsolately in the deserts of rannoch he met with father clement who had taken up his abode in the wilderness as a hermit on the principle of the old coldies he converted it is said the heart-broken and penitent conacher who lived with him in his cell sharing his devotion and privations till death removed them in succession another wilder legend supposes that he was snatched from death by the daon shai or fairy folk and that he continues to wander through wood and wild armed like an ancient highlander but carrying his sword in his left hand the phantom appears always in deep grief sometimes he seems about to attack the traveller but when resisted with courage always flies these legends are founded on two peculiar points in his story his evincing timidity and his committing suicide both of them circumstances almost unexampled in the history of a mountain chief when simon glover having seen his friend henry duty taken care of in his house of curfew street arrived that evening at the place of campsie he found his daughter extremely ill of a fever in consequence of the scenes to which she had lately been a witness and particularly the catastrophe of her late playmate the affection of the glee maiden rendered her so attentive and careful a nurse that the glovers said it should not be his fault if he ever touched loot again save for her own amusement it was some time ere simon ventured to tell his daughter of henry's late exploits and his severe wounds and he took care to make the most of the encouraging circumstance that her faithful lover had refused both honour and wealth rather than become a professed soldier and follow the douglas catherine sighed deeply and shook her head at the history of bloody palm sunday on the north inch but apparently she had reflected that men rarely advance in civilization or refinement beyond the ideas of their own age and that a headlong and exuberant courage like that of henry smith was in the iron days in which they lived preferable to her deficiency which had led to conacher's catastrophe if she had any doubts on the subject they were removed in due time by henry's protestations so soon as restored health enabled him to plead his own cause i should blush to say catherine that i am even sick of the thoughts of doing battle yonder last field showed carnage enough to glut a tiger i am therefore resolved to hang up my broadsword never to be drawn more unless against the enemies of scotland and should scotland call for it said catherine i will buckle it round you and catherine said the joyful glover we will pay largely for soul masses for those who have fallen by henry's sword and that will not only cure spiritual flaws but make us friends with the church again 
for that purpose father said catherine the hordes of the wretched duenning may be applied he bequeathed them to me but i think you would not mix his base blood money with your honest gains i would bring the plague into my house as soon said the resolute glover the treasures of the wicked apothecary were distributed accordingly among the four monasteries, nor was there ever after a breath of suspicion concerning the orthodoxy of old Simon or his daughter. Henry and Catherine were married within four months after the Battle of the North Inch, and never did the corporations of the Glovers and Hammermen trip their sword dance so featly as at the wedding of the boldest burgess and brightest maiden in Perth. Ten months after, a gallant infant filled the will-spread cradle, and was rocked by Louise to the tune of Bold and True and Bonnet Blue. The names of the boys' sponsors are recorded as Anne-He and Mitchie Lord, Archibald Earl of Douglas, and Honorable and Good Knight Sir Patrick Charitus of Kinfons, and Anne Gracious Princess majori doware of his reign highness david um quihil duke of rothsay under such patronage a family rises fast in several of the most respected houses in scotland but especially in perthshire and many individuals distinguished both in arts and arms record with pride their descent from the gow crom and the fair maid of perth End of chapter 36 End of The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott This reading by Elijah Fisher